0: Good evening. Welcome to St. James. I'm glad that you guys are here. Uh, make sure, before you leave, you say hi and thank you to the Mel's Woodwind Ensemble. Mr. Metter brought him here tonight. Emma Lorenz was directing that piece, it looked like. Make sure you say hi to Katie Albright, especially. Katie, wave your hand. It's Katie's birthday today, so make sure you say hi to Katie. Um, let's not sing right now. Um, uh, Downstairs afterwards, there'll be snacks for whoever wants to come and hang out with us. and uh, I think that we have a special event planned for tonight after the snacks. Is that right, Angela? We'll talk, we'll talk to you about it downstairs. Um, I don't have any announcements. Let's go ahead and stand, and we'll jump into worship. Let's begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Jesus Christ is the light of the world, the light no darkness can overcome. Stay with us, Lord, for it is evening, and the day is almost over. Let your light scatter the darkness and illumine your church. Joyous light of glory of the immortal Father, heavenly, holy, blessed Jesus Christ. We have come to the setting of the sun, and we look to the evening light. We sing to God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You are worthy of being praised with pure voices forever. O Son of God, O giver of life, the universe proclaims your glory. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who led your people Israel by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Enlighten our darkness by the light of your Christ. May his word be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. For you are merciful and you love your whole creation and we, your creatures, The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. You may be seated. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We stand for the gospel reading. It's the gospel reading for this past Sunday, John 3, 1 through 17. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, So it is with everyone who's born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, "Are, are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we've seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I've told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one's ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. In many and various ways, God spoke to his people of old by the prophets. But now in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. You may be seated. So this, uh, this Lent, I'm going to work through the gospel, since we're doing the Revelation series on Sunday morning. I'm going to work through the gospel readings on Wednesday, uh, Wednesday evening. This, of course, is, uh, uh, I'm guessing that a huge chunk of you recognize this text. It's the famous uh, John 3.16 text in there, right? But what, uh, and we'll talk about that. But what, what's interesting about this text or, or confusing about this text is that I really have no clue what's going on in this conversation between Nicodemus and Jesus. Nicodemus says something and then Jesus says something to him which doesn't seem like it's a response at all to what Jesus had said. And then Nicodemus asks two times, what are you talking about? And Jesus says some more stuff and then Nicodemus says again, I'm sorry, what are you talking about? And then Jesus finishes up with this cryptic saying about like the serpent in the wilderness was hung up on the pole, the son of man was gonna be lifted up as well. So I'd like to to read through it if I can and try and uh, just real quickly figure out what's going on in this conversation. What what is Nicodemus doing and why is Jesus responding the way he's doing? So basically it's gonna fall down. It's gonna break down into two kind of main parts. The first part is um, uh, the necessity of the new birth and then the second part is how does the new birth happen from, from John 3, 1 through 17, okay? So first of all, the necessity for the new birth. Nicodemus asked a question in verse two. I say question, he's actually a statement. Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Okay, so I I know that's a statement, but but actually what's going on here is that it's really kind of a question. He hasn't got to the question part yet because Jesus cuts him off, but Nicodemus is doing his job. Okay, so Nicodemus is a member of the Sanhedrin, which is the highest Jewish authority in the land. And as a member of the Sanhedrin, it's his job to vet teachers. Now he recognizes that Jesus is a rabbi, he calls him rabbi, but it's his job to figure out, okay, so I think you're a good guy. I don't think anybody could do the works that you do if they weren't somebody who comes from God or works for God, but what school do you belong to? You know, are you Hillel or are you Shammai? What, who is your teacher? He, he, what, he, what he's doing is he, he needs to interview him in order to vet him. I'm not saying that Nicodemus isn't interested in what Jesus is saying for personal spiritual reasons, but he, he is doing his job. He's got to interview Jesus to figure out, who are you? What's going on here? What, what, what's your main goal? What, what, what group are you aligned with? And Jesus' response is kind of a non-response because he says to him in verse 3, the famous verse truly truly i say to you unless one is born again he cannot see the kingdom of god so nicodemus says okay i believe that you've come from god and that you're a teacher who's from god and jesus says actually unless you've been born again you can't see the kingdom of god well now how is that a response it's actually not a great response if you're looking for how is jesus how is jesus providing information to meet nicodemus's questions it's not really a great response but actually What Jesus is doing is he's not really responding to Nicodemus. He's challenging Nicodemus. So Nicodemus comes to him and basically says, I need to find out if God is at work in you. I need to see if you're really, really a God person. And Jesus says to him, you're actually not equipped to see anything until you've been born again. You really can't be having this conversation with me right now because you don't even know the right questions to ask. You don't know who I am. Frequently, when you and I go to Jesus with concerns and questions, and sometimes they're basic stuff, and sometimes it's the hard stuff, like, why is this happening, God? Sometimes we wonder why God doesn't respond with answers. And the reason why, a lot of times, I think, is because, like Nicodemus, the question itself doesn't make any sense. I'm not saying it's not an important question. To our mind, it makes sense. But in God's scheme of things, it's kind of a nonsense question. There's one, one at one point, and I actually can't remember exactly where he said it. But if, you, if, you, if, you, if you're desperate to know, I'll, I'll track it down for you. It's just a, a lingering in my memory. C.S. Lewis says the asking questions of God is frequently like asking God, how, how, uh, how, how, how many minutes is a mile? Or is the color yellow square or circle? Lots of times we ask God questions like that, but it's not even like, it's a question that's so misguided and so misplaced that there's not a real response to it. And Nicodemus wants to find out, who are you? What school are you a part of? And you'll see throughout what Jesus is doing is saying, forget that. Like God is standing right in front of you. It's a nonsense question, which school I studied under or what kind of rabbi degree I have. Jesus is not gonna be interviewed by him. Jesus refuses to be interviewed by us. He doesn't stand up to our scrutiny. You cannot put God on the witness stand and demand answers from him. It just doesn't make sense. He's God, Jesus is God, and his only response is, you can't understand this stuff unless you've been born again. Now, what does it mean to be born again? Well, I mean, just basically just means you're dead. Like, you're not alive, you need to be, like, the way you're going now is kind of work let's say if somebody said to you, like, you should just start over. We'll, st- we'll start over what? Making the meal? No, like, go back to, like, childhood and just begin again. It's, it's a little bit of an insult. Like, everything that you've built your life around is meaningless, and you should just go back to the beginning and start over God's way. But Nicodemus knows, N- N- Nicodemus believes, to some extent, Nicodemus believes in salvation by birth. He's a Jew, he can probably trace his genealogy back to Abraham. For Nicodemus, that's what is in large part the basis of his standing before God, and Jesus is saying, forget your birth, you're going to have to start over again. You're going to have to be born again. Okay. Now, he's going to explain because Nicodemus is going to say, I don't know what you're talking about. Jesus is going to explain how you're born again. And the rest of the text is going to be about how do you get born again? There's three parts here. And interestingly enough, it, uh, each, each, each point parallels a work of the Trinity. So first of all, you have the agency of the Holy Spirit. You have the sacrifice of the Son. And then finally, you have the love of the Father. This is, what, this is what it means to be born again. It's the agency. It happens by the Holy Spirit through the sacrifice of the Son. And the fuel for it is the love of the Father. So agency of the Spirit, verses 4 through 8. Nicodemus says to Jesus, in verse, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he, it doesn't make any sense. I, can, I that ship has sailed. He probably doesn't, he's not, he's not such an idiot that he's actually being literal here. He's just saying, I'm done. I, like, I'm an older man, I can't be born again. The life I've lived, I've lived. The things I've valued, I've valued. My identity has been my identity. At this point, I can't start over again. What are you talking about? And Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, there's a lot of ink that's been spilled over what does this mean, born of water and the Spirit. The answer, I can tell you, has something to do with Ezekiel chapter 36, which I'm going to read to you now. Ezekiel is promising the exiles in Babylon that you're basically dead people, but God is going to raise you back to life. He's going to birth you again. You're going to get the new birth. And the way he's going to do it is this. He says this, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So you can see the two things that are going on there is the the sprinkling of clean water and then the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that's leading into Ezekiel 37, which, do you guys remember Ezekiel 37? It's that vision of the valley of dry bones dead bodies everywhere, long dead bodies. Not recently dead, not partly dead, but all the way dead. That was a Princess Bide reference. All the way dead, skeletons. God breathes on them and flesh starts to come back on them and they're born again, they're born again. And so when Jesus says, what I'm talking about is what Ezekiel was talking about, born of water and of the spirit, you can't see the kingdom of God. This is what he means. Now, um, uh. Water and the Spirit, this is, this is baptism in the Holy Spirit, right? I mean, this is, uh, commentators for a long time have agreed that this is talking about the sprinkling of clean water is what Jesus is doing when he uh, institutes baptism, what John the Baptist is doing, in fact, and then Jesus picks up on that. Through baptism in the Holy Spirit, we are born again. We are born new. Nicodemus is still like, I don't know what's going on with this. Uh, and Jesus says in verse eight, uh, "Look, don't marvel." This is verse seven, actually. Don't marvel that I said to you, you "Must be born again." The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. He's doing the same thing with this second question that he did with the first one. Like, don't ask. You can't ask questions about like, "I don't get it. How does the new birth happen?" The answer is water and the Spirit. No, no, I still don't get it. What do you talk, how, so how does that happen? And Jesus says, Look, don't be shocked about this. Like you just, it's, it's not definable. I, I can't give you a math formula that, that will describe how new birth happens. I can't give you the four steps that you need to take to do the new birth. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. It's mysterious and it's, unex- it's, it's, mysterious and it's uncontrollable. You don't know, we don't know when it happens, and you can't control it when it does. And if you've ever, especially for those of you who came to faith later in life, you'll remember this experience, that there's really not rhyme or reason to it. It's a series of events, and it's almost, to some extent, like, again, a C.S. Lewis reference of the sermon, you know, Lewis is, is, is contemplating Christianity, and at one point, he's thinking about it, he's got friends who are talking about Christianity and at one point, he gets on a bus to take a trip to the zoo. And he says, I got on the bus, and I wasn't a Christian. And when I got off the bus, I was a Christian. And I'm not really sure what the bus had to do with any of that. It just happened. God did it to me. It's mysterious, and it's powerful, and it's a wonderful thing to witness and watch. I'll give you, I'll, I'll give you another quick example. There's a person that, that, I, that I know and that some of you know that we've been witnessing to, and some of you, those of you who know, if you have ears to hear, you know what I'm talking about. There's a per- person that we've been witnessing to who has been avowed agnostic. I do not believe in God. It's not for me. And things, weird, weird things have been happening to this person to draw them ever closer to Christ. And they'll find themselves saying things like, they'll say something and they'll, they'll be like, wait a minute, am I starting to think like a Christian? This person uh, this past week said to me, you should check out this music. This is really cool music. It's kind of a normal thing for this person to say to me. And they sent me a link to the music, and then I didn't listen to it for a while, and I kind of forgot about it. And then they came and asked me a couple days ago, hey, did you listen to that? And I said, oh, dang it, no. I'll check it out, and I'll tell you what I think. And this person said, I think it's okay. This is exact quote. this person said. I think it's okay. It's, it's, there's not, the, the, the lyrics aren't too ungodly. This person said, I think you'll be okay with it, but the music is really beautiful. So I, so I, so I, I popped it on a couple nights ago, and it's true the music was like, subjective, I know, the music was stunningly beautiful. But as I was listening to the lyrics, I was like, no stinking way, this is Christian music. <laughs> and I, I, don't how this, I don't know how this guy found this group. They don't even have a Wikipedia page yet. But it's, it's like, they, they've been too, if you, if you know the name Andrew Peterson, They've been touring with Andrew Peterson. It's a Christian group. And I don't know how this person found this, but somehow the Holy Spirit has been put, it's all these different things going on in their life, drawing this person to himself. And like Jesus says, the new birth of the Holy Spirit, it's mysterious. It's totally based on God's sovereignty. He's completely in control. And he's orchestrating events to bring this guy to him. And at some point, this guy like C.S. Lewis is gonna step off the bus, hop down, walk into the zoo and think, dang it, I'm a Christian. Like, I've been saved. That's what's gonna happen. It's gonna be a powerful thing. There's no formula that you can do to to, to muster that up. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. But it's based upon, the work of the Holy Spirit revolves around, this is the center section of this text, verses nine through 15, the sacrifice of the Son. So you have the agency of the Holy Spirit, and now we have the sacrifice of the Son. Nicodemus again comes back in verse nine with what is going on? How can these things be, he says. Jesus says, I'm quoting the Old Testament. Have you not read Ezekiel 36? Are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we've seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I've told you earthly things and you don't believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Now, I know that's kind of cryptic. Oh, actually, let me read verse 13 No one's ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the son of man. So what does that mean? I've told you about earthly things and you don't get it. How can I tell you about heavenly things? What it means is this. I'm telling you what it means like for you guys who are walking around here to be born again. Right now, you can be born again right here. Uh, For you to get it, I've gotta take one more step. And that step is I have to introduce you to the person who can actually activate that for you. But, But the only way that person can activate that is if that person can stand here in your presence and do it for you in front of you because you're dead, you can't do it yourself but that person actually has to have the power of God in order to do it because no human being can raise you from the dead. So it has to be a human being to do this, but it has to be God to make it happen because only God has the power to do this. So it's gotta be somebody who has ascended to heaven and has been at the right hand of the Father, but it's also gotta be somebody who's descended here to earth. And for you to come to meet the man who stands at the intersection of heaven and earth, The man who stands at the intersection of time and eternity. The man who stands at the intersection of spiritual and physical. The man who stands at the intersection of God and man. This is going to be tough for you. If you can't get what we've done so far, I've got to introduce you to this guy. And he does it obliquely. At no point in this text does he come out and say, Nicodemus, I'm God. That would be too much at this point. But what he does do is he says this, look. It's going to be the Son of Man. He doesn't even explain who that is at this point. But he says this. In verse 14, he says, let me, give you, let me give you an object lesson. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Okay, what's he referring to? He's referring to the story from the book of Numbers, chapter 9, where Israel rebels against God, complains against God, and God sends serpents to judge them. Not Numbers 9, Numbers 21. The people speak against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there's no food and no water and we loathe this worthless food. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people and they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. Once again, here we have death. And the people come to Moses and say, we've sinned, we've spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents. We're dying here. These serpents are gonna kill us. Can you get rid of them? So Moses prays for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, okay, here's what you're gonna do make a bronze serpent, set it on a pole, and everyone who's bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole, and if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. Because here's what Jesus is saying. Y'all are like the people, Nicodemus, you're like the dead dead people in, in the wilderness who've been bitten, and they're on their deathbed. And the serpent that has bitten you, it's gonna have to be raised up that, something, that, that serpent is going to have to be lifted up on a pole so that you can look at it. And when you look at that serpent that's bitten you, you're going to have to look the evil that you've introduced into the world full on. And when you can look that evil full on and you can see that that evil is dead and on parade, you'll be healed. When you know that God has defeated the serpent, the serpents in the wilderness, and in the analogy, he calls him the son of man, then you will be healed. And that's what happens. This is a reference to the cross, right? Now, some of you are saying, rightly so, wait, 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 wait a minute. In the wilderness, the serpents are bad. They're evil, and they're going around biting people and killing people. But Jesus doesn't go around biting people. The analogy doesn't work. Jesus isn't a serpent. Jesus isn't doing evil things. Jesus is the opposite of that, right? Yes, you're right. And somehow, mysteriously, we're wrong about that. Jesus is perfect and holy. He's righteous. He's the God man. But somehow, mysteriously, hanging on the cross, every snake bite in the history of the world, every time you've been bitten by the snake, every time, like a snake, you've bitten somebody else, every snake bite throughout human history is up there with him. For that moment on the cross, Jesus is siding with the snake. For that moment on the cross, every evil thing that's ever happened in the history of the universe, morally evil, every sin, physically evil, every death, is up there on Jesus. It's been swallowed up by him. And when he dies on the cross, it dies with him. And the dead body hanging on the cross, now with no more power, which means that the snakes have no more power. All the sin in the world has been stripped of its power. All the death in the world has been stripped of its power. All the evil in the world has been stripped of its power. And when you you look in faith, and that's all you have to do is look. When you look in faith at the Jesus who swallowed up all the evil in the universe, killed it inside of his body, and three days later rose to new life to put all the evil in the world, like a snake on a pole, on parade, you will be healed. Nicodemus doesn't get it yet. He doesn't get it yet. You get it because you're on this side of the event. The son hanging on the cross is the way new birth happens by the power of the Holy Spirit. Last one, the love of the Father, and this will be fast. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For those of you that observe Lent, we have a misconception a little bit, not, not all of us, but sometimes I'll hear Christians talk about like, yeah, so Lent is like a, a season where I kind of focus on my sinfulness and repentance and I Think about how bad I am, and uh, you know, and how God wants to judge that sin. And then I'm thankful in Holy Week when we get to uh, to to Good Friday, and Jesus pays for that sin on the cross. And uh, we talk a lot about like God's wrath against sin and God's wrath against us. And sometimes we even talk about God's wrath against His Son. And I'm not going to say that there's not a place, a small place for that in the story of Scripture. But the much larger story is not for God so hated the world that he sent his only begotten son to die for us. The much larger story is that God so loved the world that he sent his only son to die. What holds Jesus to the cross is not the wrath of the Father, but it's the love of the Father. What holds Jesus to the cross is not that he's angry with you, but that he desperately loves you. He wants you to be born again. He wants to reverse the curse. He wants to give new life to our skeletons. It's the agency of the Holy Spirit. It's the death of the Son. It's the love of the Father, which makes the new birth happen. One follow-up note. This is kind of a, a, a PS to the sermon. The sermon is officially over, and now I'll make one PS. Nicodemus. What happens to Nicodemus? Well, we have his name here, which is weird. Jesus talks to a lot of Pharisees in his ministry, and we, don't, we aren't frequently introduced to them by name. One of the reasons why we're introduced to Nicodemus almost certainly is that Nicodemus ends up being well-known to the community that John was writing to. In other words, Nicodemus becomes a believer. And you can kind of see the trajectory of his faith journey throughout the Gospel of John. It's real small. Here he doesn't, know what, he doesn't know what's going on. He doesn't know who Jesus is. But Jesus is willing to meet him and pull him in towards himself. And we don't have any clue how this conversation ended. But in verse 9, it ends with Nicodemus just being confused. Well, in a few chapters, we're going to meet Nicodemus again. In John chapter 7, Jesus has healed a blind man, and the Sanhedrin has to decide, what are we going to do? We can't have this guy going around healing people and, and getting adherence. We've got to figure out a way to punish him. And at the end of John chapter 7, Nicodemus, who sits on the Sanhedrin, just kind of raises his voice and says, wait a minute, guys, D- do you think it's right that we would like figure out a punishment for Jesus before we listen to what he has to say? And a bunch of people on the Sanhedrin say, are you from Galilee too? What are you, nuts? No, we've got to blow this guy up. And that's all we know. We don't know if Nicodemus, if he just says that one line, hey, wait a minute, maybe we should like give Jesus to listen to. What we do know is that by John 19, Jesus has died. And Nicodemus shows up again. And this time he shows up with 75 pounds worth of spices and ointment to anoint Jesus. That's a massive amount. That's not the kind of thing that you can just carry by yourself. Like, that's a massive amount. The Jews did not typically embalm their dead either. Like, doing this sort of thing was not the average thing. This is like a royal funeral that Nicodemus wants to... Why else would he spend a fortune on anointing this guy for burial unless at some point along the way he's become his follower? Jesus is pulling him in. Jesus is wooing him. The the gentle voice of the Holy Spirit is pulling Nicodemus towards himself. He is going to stand there at the foot of the cross and see the serpent hung up for him. He is going to come to faith because of the love of the Father. Let's pray. Father, make us mindful of your love for us. Draw us once again to the foot of your son's cross so we can ponder again how your love is manifested for us in his sacrifice. Father, by the power of our baptism, by the power of your Holy Spirit, working through the word of God in the water of our baptism, draw us closer to yourself. Remind us of our new birth. If there's anybody in here who does not know you, draw them to yourself, Father, and save them. And we'll give you the praise and glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand for the Magnificat. For all servants of the church and for all the people, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For President Biden, Governor Pritzker, Mayor Marcus, for all public servants, for the government and those who protect us, that they may be upheld and strengthened in every good deed, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For those who work to bring peace, justice, health, and protection in this and every place, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For those who bring offerings, those who do good works in this congregation, those who toil, those who sing, and all the people here present who await from the Lord, great and abundant mercy, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For favorable weather, for an abundance of the fruits of the earth, and for peaceful times, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For our deliverance from all affliction, wrath, danger, and need, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For the faithful who've gone before us and are with Christ, let us give thanks to the Lord. Thanks be to God. Help, save, comfort, and defend us, gracious Lord. Rejoicing in the fellowship of all the saints. Let us commend ourselves, one another, and our whole life to Christ our Lord. To you, O Lord. O God, from whom whom come all holy desires, all good counsels, and all just works, give to us, your servants, that peace which the world can't give, that our hearts may be set to obey your commandments, and also that we, being defended from the fear of our enemies, may live in peace and quietness. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let us bless the Lord. The Almighty and merciful Lord, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, bless and preserve you. Amen. Please stay standing for the final hymn.